So take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 12. We're in a series in Mark, a series that we've entitled Jesus the Servant. Hey, I want to speak to you today on this subject, religion gone bad. Have you ever poured yourself a nice bowl of cereal? I mean a big bowl of cereal. And then you, you add milk to the cereal and you take your first bite and you realize that the milk has gone bad. That's what my grandmother called it. The milk's gone bad, Chuck. It's gone bad. And there you are left with a, a, a nice bowl of cereal and you can't eat it. It is so disappointing. Well, today I want to share with you a story from Mark's gospel that reveals something that is far more disappointing than a ruined bowl of cereal. I want to speak to you on religion gone bad. Let's get the context fixed in our minds. Jesus and his disciples have arrived in Jerusalem. He had been telling his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be, I'm going to be uh, persecuted, I'm going to be tortured, I'm going to be beaten, and, and I'm going to be crucified, and I'll rise again on the third day. And here they are in Jerusalem, and they arrive to the thunderous worship and applause and hosannas of a crowd of Jews who meet him on the Mount of Olives. It was a glorious moment, a glorious occasion. They received him like he was a king, which he was. It was a surreal moment. A couple of days later, Jesus cleansed the temple by driving out all who had turned it into a money-making, profit-making business and, and showed no reverence for the God of Israel. The religious leaders were enraged that Jesus had the audacity to do this because really he was dipping into their pockets because they were profiting from all that was taking place in the temple. They even, they even had the audacity to question his authority. Who are you to do these things? Well, evidently they didn't know who they were dealing with, right? Who are you? I, I tell you, the tension was so thick you could cut it with a knife. And that leads to our text today. Keep in mind that the shadow of the cross dogged Jesus every step. In fact, in just a couple of days, Jesus would be beaten and would be crucified and left to die on that cross. This was God's plan. It was his plan all along from before the foundation of the world, the Bible says. You see, God wanted to redeem lost Jews and lost Gentiles scattered throughout the world. Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Standing near the temple, Jesus began to teach the crowds who crowded in around him. Wherever Jesus was, there was always a crowd. Uh, of course, the religious 
elite were there to assert their authority and to monitor all that he taught and to make sure it was kosher to their faith. Obviously, again, they didn't know who they were dealing with. In Mark chapter 12, verse 1, we read this word from Jesus. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a vat under the wine press and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. Now you've got to understand that Jesus addressed this parable to the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. He wanted them to get this message clear and plain. In many parables, Jesus told them to veil the truth from those who were not saved, who were not a part of the kingdom, and to reveal spiritual truth to those who were saved and were a part of his kingdom. This, this parable is totally different. This parable is designed by Jesus to give the truth to those who were lost and who were rebellious against God and his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As Jesus stood there near the temple uh, there was a carved grapevine that was sculpted around the door that opened into the holy place. It was 70 cubits high, and it was a meaningful symbol for the Jewish faith. And Jesus, in verse 1 here, quoted from a parable that an Old Testament prophet told and wrote about in Isaiah chapter 5. Take your Bible and turn over to Isaiah chapter 5 just a moment. I'd like to read to you this parable in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1. Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it and also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. My Old Testament professor called them stink berries. Verse 3. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge. And it will be consumed. I will break down its wall, and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up, and I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. I'll tell you, when Jesus started this parable, every Jew around Jesus knew exactly where he was drawing from Isaiah chapter 5 and the parable of the Old Testament. Having fully prepared his vineyard, the owner rented it out to some vine growers and went on a journey, Jesus said. 
the arrangement included a, a clearly agreed upon contract whereby the owner would receive a portion of, of the blessing and the fruit of that vineyard when harvest time came. Mark chapter 12, verse 2, the story continues. Jesus said at the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. Now, when the initial harvest came, and normally it took five years for a vineyard to produce its first crop. And, and so when that time came, he sent a slave to receive his rightful payment from the vine growers. All of those who listened to the, Jesus that day, including the religious leaders, understood this story because they had seen, out, seen it played out numerous times there in Israel. Then in Mark chapter 12, verses 3 through 5, the story takes a twist. Jesus was a masterful storyteller. And he told stories to make spiritual points and to reveal spiritual truth. In verse 3, Jesus said they took him, they took this slave sent from the owner to the vine growers to receive what was rightfully the owners, they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Let, let me give you a, a, my translation of this. They beat the stuffing out of it. They beat the stuffing out of it. And they sent him back to the owner without absolutely no fruit of the vine. Verse 4, Jesus continued. Again, he sent them another slave. And they wounded him in the head. Here's my translation. They bashed him in the head. And treated him shamefully. Verse 5. And he sent another. And that one they killed. You see there's an escalation in violence here, right? It, it seems like every person that the owner sent to the vine growers, they tried to do them harm, and eventually they killed one. And, and so with many others, beating some and killing others, and the owner just kept sending slaves to get his rightful share of the harvest from that vineyard. Now, such wicked, violent behavior could only be characterized as open defiance against the terms of the contract that the owner had set in place when he hired the vine growers. The religious leaders and the people who were listening to Jesus were shocked, to say the least. Stuff like this just didn't go on in Israel. This was not only abnormal, it was abhorrent behavior on, a part, on the part of the vine growers. Can you think of anything else in this story that may have added to their shock? I can. I believe that they were absolutely blown away. That the owner would continue to send slave after slave after slave when so many of them were beaten, mistreated, and sent away empty-handed. And some were even killed, and the owner just kept sending slaves. 
to get his rightful share of the harvest. How could the owner have been so kind? How could the owner have been so patient? And then Jesus takes the story to a whole nother level in verse 6. He said he had one more to send. But this would not be a slave. Jesus said he had one more to send, a beloved son. And he sent him last of all to them saying, they will respect my son. It's one thing to disrespect the slaves, but it's a totally different thing to respect the son of the owner. Do you see how Jesus masterfully wove the entire gospel into this story. The beloved son would come with his father's authority to receive the father's portion of the fruit of the vine, that the owner would send his son into such a dangerous situation would have seemed shocking, unacceptable, and even foolish to the bystanders who were listening to Jesus weave this story and tell this story there near the temple in Jerusalem. The question is, would these vine growers respect his son? Would they treat him appropriately? Would they give the son the share of the harvest that, would right, that rightfully belonged to the father, the owner? Verse 7, Jesus said, But those vine growers said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. They took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. These heartless, godless vine growers viewed the son's coming as a diabolical opportunity for them to seize the vineyard for themselves. So they killed him. And they threw his body out of the vineyard, leaving it for the vultures and the wild animals to consume. Shock. And anger must have registered on the faces of the religious leaders and the people who were listening to Jesus spin this story. This was unheard of. This was totally unacceptable. How could anyone do something like this? Then verse 9. Jesus said, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine growers, and he will give the vineyard to others. Matthew recorded this same parable, and he included a response from the religious leaders who were there hanging on every word of Jesus. Do you know what they said when Jesus asked, what would the owner do? Here's what they said in Matthew 21, 41. They said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. And Jesus agreed. 
that the owner of the vineyard would come and destroy the vine growers and would give the vineyard to others. And that, at this precise moment, Jesus' point hit those religious leaders like a sledgehammer. You see, in Jesus' story, God was the owner. Israel was the vineyard. The religious leaders were the vine growers. They identified as the owner, but Jesus identified them as the vine growers. And I'm going to tell you, they were absolutely shocked. They were suckered in, and they condemned themselves with their own response to the Lord Jesus Christ. The prophets who were the... The prophets were the slaves sent by God to to Israel. The son was the Lord Jesus himself. And by taking the side of the vineyard owner and condemning the tenants, the religious leaders had indicted themselves. In essence, Jesus prophesied that Jerusalem, the temple, and the entire system of Judaism would be destroyed by Titus and the Roman legion in A.D. 70. Many of the Jews were slaughtered and others were enslaved. The remaining Jews were driven out of the land and the nation of Israel ceased to exist in A.D. 70. That is, until 1948, when Israel was reestablished in the land that God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're there today. It's their land. Nobody else. It's their land. So who would the vineyard be given to? It was given, listen, much to the chagrin of the religious leaders, the vineyard would be given to the apostles who were not trained in rabbinic schools and who were therefore considered outsiders by the religious establishment. They would become the recipients and the stewards of divine revelation. They and others like them would receive the Holy Spirit and he would inspire them to record the entire New Testament. The church would be birthed and the kingdom of God would expand to include Jews and Gentiles throughout the entire world. Look at Mark chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. Have you not even read, this is Jesus speaking to these religious leaders. Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So Jesus transitioned from the metaphor of a vineyard to that of a building. And he called out the Jewish religious leaders. Listen, I I wish that you and I could have been there to listen in on this, to see it transpire before our very eyes. Jesus basically said to those religious leaders, do you not even read the sacred scriptures? Well, what's with you guys? You have all your rituals. You have all your, 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 your uh, oral laws that you have adopted. 
and yet you don't even read the sacred scriptures, even one of the most important scriptures in the entire Old Testament. And Jesus quoted from Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. It's the last part of the Jewish Hallel, which was sung during Passover. It's something that was sung when Jesus came on the day that we call Palm Sunday. It's a key messianic text. Here's what they should have known. They should have known that Jesus was the chief cornerstone. And this became one of the key texts in in the New Testament that is referred to multiple times throughout the New Testament. In fact, in a few weeks after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Peter and the apostles would be arrested by these same jealous religious leaders. Do you know why they were arrested? Because those apostles were used by the Lord Jesus to perform a miracle on a man who needed a miracle, and they preached the gospel And people were getting saved left and right. And these Jewish religious leaders sent the the temple police and they had them arrested and they brought them before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court. They said, what do you guys think you're doing? And here's how Peter responded. Acts chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. He is the stone which the builders rejected, which became the chief cornerstone. I wonder if those guys, hey, we've heard that before. It's the same message we heard near the temple that day when Jesus was telling his parable. And then Peter added this, verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. How would these leaders, these highly educated Jewish leaders, how would they respond to this scalding indictment by Jesus And then in a few weeks, by the apostles. Would they repent? Would they believe in Jesus? Or would they persist in their rejection? Well, we get an idea when we look at verse 12 of our text. Mark chapter 12, verse 12. Here's what Mark tells us about the response of these religious leaders. And they were seeking to seize him, and yet they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke the parable against them. And they left him and went away. And in a matter of a few hours, they would turn the crowd that had that had cried out, Hosanna to the Son of David, they would turn that crowd into a hysterical mob that would cry out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. 
the dear Son of God would offer his body and blood on the cross of Calvary to redeem us from our sins. They failed to seize their day of grace. They rejected the chief cornerstone. And as a result, these religious leaders were sentenced to hell. Now that we've covered the parable and we've seen the underbelly of religion gone bad, we need to discover what true religion is. What is true religion? Let me drop this thought in your heart. I, man, I labored over this. I prayed over this. Lord, would you please? I always try to have a key truth that, that captures the essence of the entire text and, and something that you can walk away with today and that you can talk with your kids and your family around the table and, and sort of unpack it for your family the rest of this week. You know what that truth is? True religion respects Jesus. I got that from verse 6, the climax of the whole parable. True religion respects Jesus. Let, let me ask you a question. Do you think Islam respects Jesus? No. Do you think Hinduism respects Jesus? Do you think Buddhism respects Jesus? Do you think Mormonism respects Jesus or Jehovah's Witnesses respect Jesus? The answer is a resounding no. But I'll tell you, dear friend, true religion, the Christian faith, is designed by the Almighty God so that we might respect Jesus here and now and for all of eternity. Now you might say, well, Pastor... What does it mean to respect Jesus? I'm glad you ask. Because I, I, I want to drop three ways that you can respect Jesus right into the middle of your heart that you can sort of chew on and you can apply to your life today. Number one, affirm God's word. In, in the parable, Jesus talks about the slaves coming to the vine growers to the vineyard. Remember, the vineyard is Israel. The vine grower, growers are, are the religious leaders. And, and you know what it pictures? It pictures God for 1,500 years from Moses to John the Baptist sending prophet after prophet after prophet to the Jewish people to preach God's word, to call them back to repentance and faith and loyalty to, G, to God. In 2 Chronicles 36, verses 15 and 16, we see how they treated those prophets. The Bible says, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers, the prophets, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. Verse 16, But they continually, notice it, they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. They took Jeremiah the prophet 
and they threw him into a cistern where he sunk up to his chin in mud and would have died if a, if a eunuch had not rescued him. They took Zechariah the prophet and they stoned him to death in the temple. A prophet of God. They took Isaiah and tradition says that they put him inside a a hollow log and then they sawed the log in two and they sawed Isaiah half in two. It's the covenant people of God. It's the way they treated their prophets the prophets of God. You say, listen, this true religion affirms God's word and responds in obedience to our Lord's expectations for us, for our families, for his church, and for his kingdom. God forbid, God forbid that we in the church, the church that has been blessed by the Lord our God, that we would play fast and loose with the Word of God, that we would ignore the Word of God, that we would treat it with disdain, that we would refuse to apply its truths to our lives. God forbid. If we're going to respect Jesus, we must affirm God's Word. Secondly, receive God's Son. The Jewish people rejected God's Son. It's played out right here in the pages of the New Testament, in the Gospel of Mark, in the Gospel of Luke, in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Gospel of John. They mocked him. They beat him. They humiliated him. They killed him. And their foolish rejection of him was exposed on the third day when Jesus was raised from the dead. I pray that no one within the sound of my voice will reject Jesus today. He is God's beloved Son. And you must consider what He has done for you. In John 3, 16 and 17, and I, I couldn't read this parable and read verse 6 without thinking about John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. My friend, there's only one way you'll ever be saved. You're not going to be saved through some dead religion. You're not going to be saved through dead works, you're going to be saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Will you receive him today as your Savior and Lord? Will you make sure that you do not reject Jesus as the religious leaders did there 2,000 years ago? So I'm going to ask you in just a moment, as you look deep within your heart, I'm going to ask you to respond to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to receive him as your Savior and your Lord. I'm going to ask you, if you're a born-again believer already, I'm going to ask you to affirm God's Word, to receive God's Son if you're not a believer. And number three, remember this, true religion respects Jesus. 
And that means that we, number three, trust God's promise. The price the Jewish religious leaders paid for their godless leadership and stewardship of the Jewish faith was steep indeed. They were doomed to spend eternity in hell. Furthermore, the Jewish people had their kingdom privilege revoked. They lost their temple, their priests, their land, their sacrificial system, and so much more. And Jesus promised to give that vineyard to another, the church. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. So he took the church and gave it stewardship over the word of God and the gospel and the expansion of the kingdom. And if you receive God's Son as your Savior and Lord, He promises you that you will receive the gift of eternal life. And you will become a part of His forever family. And at the end of your earthly life, you will go to heaven. And that's a promise you can cling to in some of the most darkest, most painful moments of your life. Since you're a part of his church, I want to encourage you to be faithful to your Bible fellowship class. I want to, I want to encourage you to be faithful to come to worship. I want to encourage you to be faithful in serving the Lord, to be faithful in giving your tithes and offerings, and to be faithful in reading your Bible and praying and making spiritual growth a priority in your life. Because, listen, true religion respects Jesus. Hey, I'm going to ask our staff to come, our worship team to come. And I want to invite you to not be just a hearer of the Word. I want to invite you to be a doer of the Word. I want to invite you as a believer to affirm God's Word. I want you to say, as for me and my house, we will make the Bible our final source for faith and practice. I want to encourage you, if you're not a believer, to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Just come to one of our staff members and tell them that today, instead of rejecting Him like the Jewish religion, religious leaders did that you want to receive him as your savior and your lord we'll help you with that decision we won't embarrass you we won't ask you to say anything into a microphone the most important part of your life is your soul and jesus is the only one who can save your soul and forgive your sin come to jesus and then thirdly it's very important that you trust God's promise. That you really believe that if you trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that He's given you eternal life. And it starts the moment you're saved and it runs forever throughout all of eternity. What a blessing. So I'm going to ask you, 
as believers to come to the altar and apply what you've heard today to your own heart and your life and your own family. If you're, if you're looking for a church home, you and your family are looking for a church home, come to one of our staff members. We'll help you with that. You need to find a church to plant your life. I want to encourage you to come. And come to the staff if you want to be saved. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this marvelous parable that Jesus told. Lord, the truths of this parable are amazing. And we thank you for letting us dive into this parable today and pick it apart and, and see how it applies to us and to your church and to your kingdom. Lord, we are humbled that you would give us the vineyard. You would give us the responsibility and accountability for your kingdom and for your kingdom truth and for your kingdom gospel. Help us to be good stewards of what you've entrusted to us. Lord, we bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship and you come as God leads you.